chapter 7 of the uh, second book of the Pentateuch. Moses, the author of these five books, uh, Old Testament books of your Bible. And this is the second one. Uh, We've been in the last few chapters learning about Moses as God is preparing him. God is encouraging him. Moses feels like a failure in leading the children of Israel, some two million or so, there in Egypt out of that land. God has a purpose for his children. He doesn't want them there in Egypt. And so God has been encouraging Moses uh, with a lot of different things. And we finally get to the place where he's, he's going to finally go up to uh, Pharaoh and through these 10 plagues, really nine plagues, plus the last one, which is really a little bit different. Um, he's going to convince the people of Egypt, the people, the children of Israel, and mostly Pharaoh, that he is Yahweh, that he is God. But he's, God has been encouraging uh, Moses in these last few verses about how uh, God is going to do this through Moses, and Moses just needs to obey. Moses needs to perform and be obedient to the, every command that God gives him. And then God tells Moses that even though Pharaoh won't listen to you, I'm going to do some things in his life so he'll turn away, turn away, because I want Pharaoh to really pay attention, and Pharaoh thinks he's God, and I'm going to teach him he's not. And all the people are worshiping all these other gods. It's a very polytheistic culture in Egypt. And I'm going to teach them these things. And that's why all these judgments are going to come down. So there's no question in any Egyptian mind that I am the Lord. And of course, we have the record uh, for us as well written here in in our Bibles. But Moses and Aaron now have been prepared. God's renewed Moses' calling. And now God sends Moses and Aaron back before Pharaoh. God has prepared Pharaoh's heart, although it's different than you would think. It's not softening, it's hardening his heart, as you recall. And so now Moses and, Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh. And in these verses, we're going to look at the last portion of chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. We come to the very beginning of the plagues that God's going to bring upon Egypt through his servants, Moses and Aaron. I've called this, uh, in addition to our last study, the very beginning of chapter 7, Miracles and Plagues Part 2. So we're getting into all the miracles and plagues here. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. Uh, many of us uh, have thoughts of this busy weekend, this wonderful weekend, Lord, where we celebrated the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray tonight that you would just energize us to study your word, that you touch our bodies if we're tired or sick, that you just fill us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit as we study now and and really understand this text. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now, as we begin this study, let me just remind you of something I was thinking as as I was preparing for this study tonight, actually today I, I studied all morning, and I was thinking about how we have this record. You each hold in your hands a record. This is the history. This is God's story, his, his story, um, about the bondage of God's children. He's chosen them. He's committed to them. He's made covenants to them and for them. 
And he's going to carry out these things, but they're in bondage. They're stuck there in Egypt. And God is going to show us in this history as we read it, he's going to show us how he can enter a world and take his children out of bondage. Sound familiar? (laughs) We just celebrated Christmas where Jesus entered our world and he delivered us from the bondage of sin. This story that you're reading is so comparative to the overall love that God has, his mercy, his grace, and his provision for his children. And the record is given so that you and I can see that God is the deliverer, that we as his people uh, were loved by him, and he wants to take us out of our sin. He took the Israelites out of bondage of sin in Egypt. He takes us out of the world and its sin. But we get comfortable like the Israelites, comfortable in our sin, comfortable in our habits, comfortable in our former life where we were living in sin, but we're saved, but we've got one foot in and one foot out. And God wants us to, he wants to deliver us completely out of sin and out of darkness and out of our old past life because we can't be productive for him if we've got one toe in darkness. He wants to deliver us out of it. That's really what the story is about. And this story becomes an example. And it's the apostle Paul who told the Corinthians, notice this verse behind me. All these things happen to them as examples. All the things we read about in the Old Testament are for our benefit. They're examples. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, why study the Bible? What are you doing on Wednesday night? Why don't you just watch TV? Because we learn. <laughs> we learn from these wonderful historical recorded accounts. We learn what God has for us, how much he loves us, his grace, his mercy. We see it over and over again. So this story in Exodus, it becomes an example for us tonight. So don't look at it like it happened way back then and, and way in the back. Yonder in the Old Testament, there's a story, but look at it and apply it to your life tonight, to our Christian life right now. Because although the children of Israel belonged to God, they were in a foreign land. You and I belong to God, but sometimes we have our feet or are part of our family or a difficult part of our life is still in the world and God wants to deliver us out of it. So this story can be an example for you in that, that way. As Christians, we belong to God. He's redeemed us. He's paid for us by his blood. We've learned all about that and the Bible tells us that story again and again. We possess eternal life. But if you're still living with one toe in Egypt, then you're not going to be productive for the Lord in the way he wants you to. He wants to get you out of that darkness and out of Egypt. And that's really what this story represents. These people are living in bondage. They've been comfortable, the Israelites. They're comfortable where they live. They're comfortable in what they're doing. They get a little bit of sustenance from Pharaoh. They get some work to do. And as long as he leaves them alone, everything's okay until Moses showed up. And Moses said he was going to deliver us to worship his God. And then Pharaoh made everything hard on us. It was hard to make bricks. Our labor became more intense. We started getting beaten up for the... Everything's been hard since God and Moses came into the picture. 
And here's, here's the illustration for us as a Christian. Any Christian living in Egypt is powerless. Any Christian that's living in sin is going to be useless for the master. You hear what I'm saying? God wants to separate us from all of those things. And he's many provisions in the New Testament. If you understand, the, 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 there's different doctrines in the work of God in our lives that go along with regeneration, that go along with God's work of substituting his life for ours, setting us apart from our sin, sanctifying us for his use. Wonderful, wonderful works, but we still have to make decisions to, to get out of Egypt. And, and really, again, this story represents that because my prayer life isn't as effective if I've got a toe in Egypt. My service to the Lord isn't as effective if I've got one toe in Egypt. And so God never has intended his redeemed people to stay there. He wants to get them out. Again, that's what this story is all about. Let's go back to verse 10. Look at verse 10 in chapter 7 of Exodus where Moses and Aaron are back in Pharaoh's court now. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh out of obedience to the Lord. And they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down the rod before Pharaoh and before his servants. And it became, remember, a tanim. Remember what a tanim is? It's a crocodile, not a snake, but a crocodile. You can look that up, by the way. But here's the picture. If you weren't here last week, God is, he is, he is challenging the gods of Egypt. Crocodile being one of them, the Nile River being one of them. So God is challenging Pharaoh, and now God is challenging all the Egyptians' gods. But Pharaoh, verse 11, also called the wise men and his sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. So these demonic magicians, truly, they, they do a, a similar miracle. And we'll see this happen again and again. We'll see it again tonight in the, the first plague. But... Theirs is, is very limited in that Moses, crocodile, eats theirs up. Every man, verse 12, threw down his rod. They became serpents. Same word, by the way, tanim. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So even though here's the message, it's straight from the Lord, crocodile, Threatening their God, threatening Pharaoh. The, the Pharaoh's hard, uh, heart gets even harder. It's obvious. Everybody around would know what was going on there, that God was challenging through this miracle, the Egyptian gods. But Pharaoh doesn't change his heart. Pharaoh doesn't change his mind. Pharaoh doesn't turn away. He just rejects Moses and Aaron. And that's exactly what God had told Moses and Aaron would happen. He said, if his heart's going to get hard, he's going to reject you over and over. Now, we come to verse 14 and this first plague. And the title, really, of the message, the Nile turning to blood. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall take in your hand or pardon me, stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which is turned into a serpent you shall take into your hands. That represents his authority. And you shall say to Pharaoh, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent 
me to you saying, let my people go and notice that they may serve me away from here in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with a rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod, stretch it out of your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers and their ponds. So we're way beyond just the Nile River, all the tributaries, all the water feeding the people or watering the people there in Egypt and over the pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. So everything will miraculously turn. Every source of fresh water would turn instantly into blood. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. He lifted up his rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the magicians, his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Wait a minute. The magicians of Egypt, they did the same thing. They turn the water into blood. What, what's wrong with those guys? It, isn't that interesting? I, again, when you read the Bible and you see these little things, it's, they should pop out. There's a purpose there for those. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. For seven days passed, for the Lord had struck the river. Now, this is the first of ten plagues. And the, the word plague translated is this word that really means to strike or stroke. God is going to abruptly and quickly strike in these ten different Plagues. He's going to strike at Pharaoh. He's going to strike at the Egyptian gods. It's always been interesting to me that as I read the plagues, and maybe you've encountered this as well, as you read through the plagues, there's always some liberal theologian that will try to explain the miracles of God with some kind of natural phenomenon. They, they don't want to give credit to an almighty sovereign God. But as I see this, God is striking with these miracles. They were shocking to the people. They happened suddenly to the people. These are judgments of God that come. And here's the most interesting thing. If you believe they were a natural phenomenon, here's the catch. They started when Moses started and they stopped when Moses said stop. So God is intricately involved in each one of these strikings, this, these plagues that are going on here. And he hits Egypt with these blows over and over again. They, they come with more and more intensity as you'll, you'll um, 
realize as we go through these are worse and worse and worse until they finally devastate Egypt. This first one, this first plague or strike, it's right at the heart of Egypt. And the reason is, is because the Nile is the lifeblood of this culture. If you've ever looked at a picture of Egypt, you'll see the Nile River that it flows from kind of the, the central eastern portion of Africa and it flows all out toward the Mediterranean. And as they closer to the Mediterranean Sea, it just branches out. That land all around there is fertile. And when they, the, Africa gets deluged with monsoons, that the, the Nile would swell up and the soil would be enriched by all the silt that would run over the land. Very, very fertile valley, the Nile River Valley. And so these people, they worshipped the water. Remember, they're polytheists. And they, they worship many, many different gods. And so right through the middle of Egypt is this lifeblood of, of Egypt, this Nile River. And God is going to strike the river first. This is really important because they worship the river. There was this God. I've got a picture of him here behind me on the screen. This is Osiris. Osiris is the Egyptian God who ruled over the earth. He was the the, he ruled with Isis, his queen. This is all mythological gods and goddesses. And he was the god of the Nile, the god of the river. He was over the fish and the water and life to Egypt. So God shows his power in this very first plague by just smashing this god. First with a crocodile, now with a river. Very important. God is, is challenging the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh here. But notice that God in his mercy, going back to verse 14 in my first point tonight, Pharaoh's warning. We get Pharaoh's warning. Let's just review it real quickly. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes to the water, stands by the river's bank. Meet him. Take the rod that turned to a serpent in your hand. You shall say, the Lord... God of the Hebrews sent me to you. Let my people go that they may, notice, serve me. I love that. Every time these plagues come up, God's going to repeat this phrase. I, these are my people. I want them to worship me. I want them to serve me. That's God's whole purpose in saving you. Have you ever thought about that? Why did God save you? Were you worth anything? Are you such a great Man or woman that God just, oh, that you, you walked as a child and glowed and you're so good that God just dispensed his grace upon you? Or were you a worthless, just wretched sinner like me? And it was the grace of God that came and changed your life. He, he redeemed you from death and destruction. He turned you into something beautiful. He took worthlessness and made it worthy. That's what God has done. And God does that over and over again. And here we have, you know, Pharaoh's warning. Listen, I want you to let my people go because I have a plan for them. I want them to worship just like God has a plan for you. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to serve him. That's his, his plan. He saved us out of Egypt. He saved us out of sin so that we might serve him. And notice that God makes sure 
that Pharaoh understands. It's very clear. None of this has to happen. I'm going to give you another chance. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh gets this second chance to repent. But Pharaoh will not. He won't acknowledge God for anything. And he deliberately defies God. So after God's gracious warning, verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river, the rod of my in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water. Now, this plague directly affects everyone. Everyone but Pharaoh. Think about Pharaoh. He's got plumbers. He's got people to dig stuff for him, people that cook for him. He doesn't have to get it. He doesn't care. What does he care? He turns and walks away from this whole thing. But this plague affects everyone else. Everyone in Egypt is affected by this. It's going to get everyone's attention there in the land. God wants everyone. Notice at the very end of verse 18, it says that the fish will die, the river will stink, and notice, the Egyptians will loathe to drink. Everyone. All the Egyptians, they're not going to want to drink the water. God wants the Egyptians to know. Not only Pharaoh, but all the people. I am Yahweh. I'm sovereign. I'm in control here. And God wants Pharaoh to know. He's a promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God. And these are his people here. Now, whenever I read this story... Pardon me for being a child of my generation, but I think of Yul Brenner. I, I just do. I think of the movie Ten Commandments. I mean, am I the only one? Does anybody else in here think that's the, all of my generation? Yeah. Uh, Yul gave such a great presentation of Pharaoh. I can't remember the, the, the princess. I don't remember who that was, but Yul Brenner, just magnificent uh, actor. And there's an amazing scene in that movie where at the 10th plague, when their son dies and, and, and she's holding her dead son's body and she looks at him and blames him for everything, Pharaoh. And Yul Brenner sits down, he's devastated, and he says, he actually says this in the movie, the Lord, he is God. Now only if, this Pharaoh would have done what Yule did in the movie, you know. <laughs> Think about that. God is going to bring these plagues to work out his sovereign plan through the life of the Israelites, the Egyptian people, and Pharaoh. God is doing all these things to get all of their attention. And even though Yule Brenner's action didn't happen in the scripture, you know, finally Pharaoh's going to let him go, but... Not like it wasn't in that movie. But here's the point. <laughs> Get back to the point here in Exodus 7. God is sovereign over Pharaoh. He's sovereign over the Nile, over the water, over the fish. And he shows and proves his sovereignty in this one act. And then in verse 19, Moses carries out the task and notice he's commanding Aaron to raise his staff. So Aaron raises his staff in verse 19. The Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod, stretch it out, your hand over the waters, over the streams, over the rivers, 
over all these areas and, and it happens, the plagues happen. So this is a strike, this is a plague, a strike against Pharaoh and against the, the gods of Egypt. Now there's nine of them, the 10th one, I kind of separate the 10th one, I think you'll understand. The 10th plague, the slaying of the firstborn is, is totally in a class of itself. But these other nine could be separated into groups of three, three groups of three, because they kind of happen in the same succession. These three groups of three, the first two plagues in each group of three come after a warning and a call to repent. And then the third one comes with no warning, boom, it hits. Then you get three warnings and another, or two warnings and another one, then two warnings and another one. And finally, the firstborn, the 10th the plague or the 10th strike. The other thing that I find interesting about these 10 is that the plagues are literal. What God says literally happens. I'm going to strike the waters with blood. And that's exactly what happens. It's not symbolic. I mean, you can tie some things into Revelation if you try really hard. And, and it's, it's interesting. I, I kind of like to think that way. But, but each one of these plagues, you can take literally the frogs that we're going to see. They invade the land. The flies, they, they're flies. They're real flies that come. So nothing symbolic about the plagues. They're just devastating to the people in Egypt. And each one is going to attack one of the prized deities of the Egyptians. Each one's going to come up against one of the gods in Egypt. And each one of the plagues, in general, they, they answer Pharaoh's original question. Here it is on the screen behind me. It's Exodus 5. Remember when they first met, when Moses first went to Pharaoh? And he says, I, you know, God commands you to let my people go. And Pharaoh says this, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Each one of the plagues, they're going to get greater and greater. They're going to assault and challenge the deities of Egypt and Pharaoh, each one, greater and greater. God is answering that question that Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? You want to know? I'll show you. I, I think that's really true. I, I see people in our culture today that just shake their fist at God and I just, oh, Lord. They reject God. They reject Christmas. They reject the Bible. And I just, oh, it breaks my heart. They don't even know what they're saying. Really, they have no idea. Now, Moses and Aaron, they're doing exactly what God calls them to do. And here in verse 20, Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded and they do everything in the sight of Pharaoh. He's right there. They go down to the river. They meet him. Uh, what he was doing at the river, maybe he's taking a bath in the morning. I don't know. But he, God told him where he, uh, Pharaoh would be. So Moses and Aaron meet him there, and they challenge him there, just as God called him to. And when this happens, this first plague, the, the Nile turning into blood, can you imagine what kind of an ecological disaster that would be? I mean... This is devastating for the people. The water is totally undrinkable. The people have to go, I don't know, hundreds of yards away from the river and dig in the sand to try to find some water that they could drink. Because uh, all the water has been um, uh, polluted, all of it. It's, it's undrinkable. The fish from the Nile. 
That was an important food source for these people, but they're all dead now. So God is speaking in a sovereign way. Can't drink the water. There's no fish to eat. These people are going to understand that he is in control, that Yahweh is the Lord. Verse 22, my next point here. Notice Pharaoh's reaction. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, which is, that's fascinating to me. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he didn't heed them as the Lord had said. The question, why did the Pharaoh's magicians duplicate the sign? They did it with with the staffs and now they do it and turning, now I don't know what they turned into blood. Maybe they had some water there. They turned into red or whatever. It's just amazing to me. We're just told that they did it. I don't, I don't totally understand it, but I'm thinking that maybe they wanted to reverse that curse or reverse that judgment. Well, Pharaoh, we can fix this. We can do the same thing. You know, we can change it, but they couldn't change it. God's power was so much greater. Again, these guys, magicians, they are demonically motivated. They have Satan behind them. And when you think about Satan, he can't do anything but destroy, right? That's what he is. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. That's who he is. That's what he does. And so he's the destroyer. These magicians, there's no way that they're going to do anything That's going to be corrective. They're not going to fix anything. Satan doesn't fix anything. He destroys. And so these magicians, obviously they're satanic in their motivation. They can't reverse God's judgment. All they can do is intensify it, which is really interesting when you think about it. Again, adding to the truth about their satanic power. So these satanic magicians in Pharaoh's court All they can do is make more bloody water. They can't fix anything. But then notice how Pharaoh reacts there in verse 23. He turned and went to his house. He just walked away. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug around for water to drink because they couldn't drink the water of the Nile. Very interesting. Pharaoh, he shows absolutely no concern for anybody else. Why? Because he's God of Egypt. He believes he's God. The people worship him as God. He believes he's God. Who is Yahweh? Very proud man here. And that's why God has to work in his heart. And he's making his heart harder and harder and harder. Because Pharaoh had already chosen to disobey. God is just adding to what's going on in his, his heart. He thinks that What's going on is just a trick. My magicians will work it out. He just turns away and he, he walks into the house like he, he's just careless about it. Now, all the regular folks in Egypt are probably worried about what's going on because they don't have any water to drink. They've got to dig new wells because they can't get any pure water. And then just to show the mercy of God, this verse 25, it was seven days. So it was only seven days. So the, I guess the fresh water is going to rush out of the mountains and go through the Nile Valley and push the blood red water out into the ocean. And, and the, there, it would be, there would be uh, new water coming in. So it was just seven days. 
but, but it's the hardened heart of Pharaoh that we see here. He, he could care less what happens. He doesn't care about Egypt. As long as he has his slaves to build his cities, that's all he cares about. He's got food. He's got water in his palace. One of the commentators I read said this, kind of like Marie Antoinette who said, let him eat cake. I mean, you can get that idea of Pharaoh. He walks back into his palace. All his deities are still intact. They're all on the walls. He goes right back to his false gods. So this first plague, it really reveals the hardness of the heart of Pharaoh. He could care less about any miraculous things. He doesn't believe in Yahweh. He will by the end of this. He is, he's going to learn. But it shows also how God is revealing himself. And God is obviously sovereign, but he's gracious at the same time with Pharaoh and with the people. Again, when I read this story, I see a, just the stubborn heart of this man, this Pharaoh. And every time God strikes out with his plague, and we're going to see this. We're going to see it go on and on. We're not sure how long this took place. We know this first one lasted, what, a week, right? Seven days. So some people believe it was a, each one was a week long. I, I'm not sure. We'll see that as we go through this section. But Pharaoh is going to be hammered again and again by the Lord here. And he's going to turn from the Lord and walk away over and over. How could anyone be so hard? as Pharaoh here. Let me give you a couple of answers in application tonight to this story. Pharaoh believed he was accountable to no one. He was in charge. He was large and in charge. He was the Pharaoh. He was the one to be worshipped. Very dangerous place to be. He rationalized his behavior at the beginning, he told himself the plagues were just tricks. Any of my magicians could do this. So he just rationalized those things away. How many people do you know? I mean, even Christians rationalize their sin away. He justified his behavior. He was the master of his own destiny. He was the Pharaoh. He was in, in charge. So he just justified his behavior. He must have thought, I'm not going to let my workforce get away. I need them to do all these things. So he just justified everything he did. Number four, he was swallowed up again by pride, unwilling to repent. Now, as I look around the world today, I don't really see pharaohs. We have some people that are pretty proud and dictators and in the world today. But I do see a lot of people who have rejected God and his grace and it's mercy. And it's not that they haven't heard. It's not that they haven't heard the gospel. They have, it's not that they haven't heard. Maybe you shared the gospel with someone at Christmas time. The scary thing is their heart is so hard. They're callous against the things of God. And when that happens, you, you watch it develop in someone that you know. They begin to ignore God. They begin to place God on a shelf, stop reading the Bible. Even some Christians, we get so busy in our lives with our things and we slowly put God in a box. We set him aside somewhere. Very dangerous place to be. If 
for a Christian. Pharaoh is an example of one's heart that got so hardened with sin that he, was, he couldn't see the truth around him. So here's the question. What's the condition of your heart tonight? Is it soft? Is it pliable? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you reading the word? Are you following God's counsel? Are you obeying his precepts? Because when you read about the horrible things that God does to Egypt, God's doing a couple things here. He's going to get his people delivered. He's going to separate them from this place of sin, Egypt. That's what God's plan is. But they were in bondage. And they didn't even know it, some of them. They were just custom. They were just living there. They were just in that place. But they were in bondage. They became complacent living in their sin. It's a dangerous place for all of us as Christians. We need to be very, very careful. These stories, this history is given so that we can apply the word in our lives, so we can understand God's love, so we won't fall into the mistakes of those in the past. Again, the the picture is pretty clear. Satan had bound these people in Egypt. They were controlled by a a pharaoh and the, and the many gods of Egypt. And God wanted to deliver them out of that darkness into his light. The people were held captive. They were in chains and God wanted to deliver them. And whenever I read about Pharaoh and his resistance and his heart being hard, I, I can't help but think, there's been times when I've shared the gospel. I've been standing before people, and I, and I know they're hearing the truth of God's word, but their heart's hard. I, and I just pray, Lord, soften their heart. Help them to understand what they're doing. You see, because God never gives up. God never gives up. On those people in your, maybe you went to a Christmas thing, a family gathering this weekend, and you saw someone in your family that year after year after year after year, they're like Pharaoh. I mean, even in my mind, not this weekend, but in the past, year after year after year, just rejecting, rejecting the gospel, the truth, God's love, rejecting over and over again. That God never gets up. Look at this verse here behind me on the screen. It's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth of the gospel. God never gives up on even the hardest of heart. He continues to call out. He continues to display his love to all who will listen. He's like the father of the prodigal son who wasted his father's fortune. He took off and he wasted all his earnings, his father's blessings. But his father... Day after day, just was member of the father in that story is always looking out the window, always opening the door, always wanting that lost prodigal to come home. That's the heart of God. Throws a big welcome home party for his son, puts a robe on him, a ring on his finger, reestablishes him back in the home. That, that's the heart of God. In our passage tonight with this you know, hardened man, this Pharaoh. 
you really have two options. You can either bow your knee and accept Christ or be judged by God. Those are really the only two options. This message in Exodus, and we're going to see it as, as we progress through these 10 plagues. We're going to see that God will demonstrate his sovereignty over and over and over. And I love this. He demonstrates his grace. Let my people go. I want them to serve me. And as he does that, we see the resistance of Pharaoh again and again. But God will not relent. He is going to deliver his people, just like he delivered you and I. And for that, we can all be thankful. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for this historical account that we're studying here in the book of Exodus. I pray, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand and really to even look at our own hearts. Lord, that, that our hearts would not be hard. That we would be fully delivered in, in our choices in our life. You've redeemed us, Lord. You don't want us to be in sin. Help us to make choices, Lord, that reflect that. Help us to remove all of those ties from the past. All of that sin that we were once involved in, may we leave Egypt, Lord, and, and live free from its bondage and sin. Bless now your people, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. We, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.